Great. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to be together. Sorry, it's just a little bit nippy in this room. It is, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, you should have danced a bit more vigorously during the worship, obviously. Uh, and I decided to take my jumper off just to show it wasn't really that bad at all. But I did think I might work up a little bit of uh, energy, too, as we got going in preaching. So if you have Bibles with you, please turn to Luke chapter 4. So we're going to be doing a whole series uh, from Luke's Gospel uh, over the next few months, and uh, there has been sort of two, two or three uh, passages looked at already. We are looking at a very pivotal passage in Luke chapter 4, and when I saw what I'd been allocated, I was thrilled. <laughs> I thought, this is wonderful. Uh, this is a wonderful passage to preach from and for us to read together. So I'm delighted to be here this morning uh, and to be able to uh, take a crack at this one. Uh, here we go, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said. Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue, synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, 
and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Well, now, the last couple of chapters uh, of Luke's gospel have uh, launched, as it were, for the reader of Luke, because he has a particular purpose in writing his gospel. He's trying to help people understand who Jesus is and what sort of gives him the power and the authority to do the things that we're going to read in the book of Luke as it unfolds. Uh, And he does it in several ways. But first of all, like in several of the other Gospels, the story is told of Jesus' baptism. This was a turning and point and a powerful encounter, obviously, in Jesus' life. I have to say, I hope it is for many of us as well. And when we see people baptized, it's not just about them giving their testimony and dipping them in water. We pray that God will come and encounter people there. And that's what Jesus' baptism was. It says, when Jesus went to be baptized by John the Baptist, the heavens were opened, and a voice spoke from heaven. And, and there, was, there was a dove that came down and settled on Jesus. And a voice spoke from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So this was a profound encounter. And it was the time when the Spirit came and settled on him in a special way. Well, one of the things that's going on here is Luke is trying to say to us, watch out for this. This is what happens when the Spirit comes upon you. And there are, first of all, powerful encounters with God in heaven and a sense of God saying, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's what happened when the Spirit comes upon us. And what's conferred through this is a sense of, Oh, we know who we are now. (laughs) One of the saddest things for me is Christians who lack confidence, are intimidated by the world around. By the way, I'm on the next slide. (laughs) Sorry, Tim. uh, 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 Christians who don't know who they are, who are intimidated by the world around them, who are living in this world in a great sense of sort of confusion and... Um, I'm not in all of those, though. I'm only on the first one, a powerful encounter with God in baptism. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get coordinated between us. Yeah, here we go. Um, so, uh, but, but God means us to know who we are, that we understand we are children of God. And what's more, we carry the life of the Holy Spirit. God himself lives within us. We can't be intimidated by the world around us because God lives in us. And we are going to meet lots of situations which are challenging to us, so we'd better start here. I mean, right here with understanding who we are and having a powerful encounter with God that so floods us with a sense of his life. Now, this is what happens. People end up sort of somehow growing up in the church 
feeling that their faith is a matter of having to do the right thing. Having to tick boxes, whether it's the box of praying every day or reading your Bible or going to church. And none of those things are bad things, of course. <laughs> They're all good, good things to do, but that's not being a Christian. That's not what it is about. And, and we might think it's, you know, being good to the poor, going out on the streets, giving, you know, foodstuffs away, whatever it may be. Those are very good things to do as well. But that's not what it's about. Right. So, so what it's really about is us having a, rel- a living relationship with God, our Father in heaven, where we understand he is our Father. He's the one who made us. We might have an earthly father, but we have a heavenly Father who is much more attentive and much more caring and much more loving than even our earthly fathers can be. Um, and he's watching out for us. He's made promises over our lives, and he's planning good things for us, and we are right in the center of his loving purposes. Amen? And what's more, he says, I want you to know that you're a member of my family, and you are my son, you are my daughter, and in you I'm well pleased. In other words, I love you. Yes? Okay, we had the privilege of going out and seeing one of our daughters in Exeter this week uh, for particular reasons, and it's like one of the reasons why it's good to go and see it is to say, we love you. And we made this journey to say, we love you, we care for you, we're thinking of you, we never stop thinking of you. Isn't that being a parent? Well, that's what God's like. (laughs) He never stops thinking of it. And he wants us to know that his love is set upon us. And at certain times, he comes down to profoundly encounter us and say, you're my son, Al, it's okay. (laughs) You might have your head full of many pleasures, treasures, or cares. (laughs) But please understand, please understand, you're my son. And I am devoted to you in love. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this first and foremost, because the rest of the sermon is not relevant if we haven't got this in place. Okay? If you haven't got this in place, I want to encourage you to get this in place today. Is anyone who's been raised in church or, you know, or you've been looking for God somehow, uh, you've been reading about him and thinking about him, whatever it may be, I want to say, today you can know you're his son, you're his daughter. And that's the first big thing uh, that we're supposed to know as we live the Christian life. And if that's not your case this morning, please do come and see uh, one of these guys at the front, you know, who look intelligent and will show you, we'll be able to point the way. Well, I think they look fairly intelligent. Um, One of these guys who can point you the way and say, let me explain how you really know that you're a son or a daughter of the king. Okay, so that's the first thing. So this is the story of Jesus. I mean, he does grow up knowing that he's his father's son, his heavenly father's son. But even for him, this time of baptism was a profound encounter. And then the passage says, and I think you did this one last week, and I think it was Steve who was preaching. Oh, it was Tammy who was preaching last week. Beg your pardon, Tammy. Uh, I knew it was a bigu. That's all. I, anyway, it was the red-headed one. Um, okay, so uh, it was Tammy who was speaking last week on what happened at the beginning of chapter 4, where it says, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, was led into the wilderness. Oh, no. 
Now, sometimes we're tempted to think that if we end up in the wilderness experiencing significant, significant temptation, maybe that means there's something wrong with us. Absolutely not. Experiencing temptation and testing of one way or another. I'm sure Tammy said this last week, but I'm sorry I didn't listen to it. Uh, I'm sure Tammy said this. has nothing to do with sort of where you are in your relationship with God. It's something that happens to people who are spirit-filled. People who are filled with God and who know God. But that's why it's important to know who you are. And what happens when we enter into temptation without properly knowing who we are in Christ as we suffer all sorts of confusion and doubt and wondering and we start asking ourselves the wrong questions. And the wrong questions will always lead us into trouble. I mean, we start asking questions like, I wonder if God's here. That's a stupid question. Of course God's here. God's everywhere. So he's right here in the wilderness. Now, if we lose the big picture, oh, does this mean God doesn't like me? That's a stupid question, okay? Because you know that you're his son or you're his daughter and he set his love on you. I can tell you as a father, my kids, and I have five, have done lots of silly things in their lives and I love them. And it's even more painful because I love them that they've done all these silly things. But it doesn't stop you loving them. What a silly question to ask. So Christians need to stop asking silly questions. Please turn to your neighbor and say, please stop asking silly questions. Okay, all right. (laughs) Okay, just let's get a little bit of reality around here. But it's true, isn't it? We ask ourselves, all these sitting, oh, I wonder if God's not around. I wonder if he doesn't like me anymore, etc., etc. We do. But they're silly questions because if we understand that he's our father, that makes loads of questions irrelevant. And if we know that we're his children, we're his son and his daughter, all of those questions are irrelevant. Does he still love me? Does he, you know, perhaps he's, perhaps he's forgotten about me. I'll tell you, parents don't forget about their kids. Well, anyway. <laughs> anyway, we won't, go in it. we won't go there. Anyway, but, all I, but even those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, challenging temptation of the Holy Spirit, now it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus went to Nazareth. He's still filled with the Holy Spirit. But this is a challenging time. He's going to Nazareth. I'm hoping something's going to come up here in a moment. Hello. There we go. And he faces rejection at home. Okay? Rejection at home. Who knows? That the most difficult place to be who you really are, a son or a daughter of the king, is at home home, with people you know pretty well and who know you pretty well and don't want any bull of any sort at all and will soon burst your bubble, uh, it is very difficult to be a Christian amongst those people, yeah? Now, students, those of you who think, well, thank goodness I've left home, (laughs) you now have a new home, okay, and your home is with your friends here Uh, in Oxford, in whichever whichever sort of institution you're part of, and they will also see straight through you as well. 
And let me tell you, you may be spirit-filled, but you're going to experience some rejection because that's what happens. Thus says the Lord, (laughs) that's what happens. When you're amongst people who know you really well, they see right through you. And one of the things that happens is it's right here that we face rejection. We would think it were otherwise, but there we go. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's great, and it's challenging internally, and it's challenging relationally as well. That's what it's like being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's great. <laughs> I, I really hope that God helps us this morning. Um, this thing of the kingdom is great. Please understand me. This thing of the kingdom is great. And being part of God's kingdom is great. In a sort of pre-meeting, prayer meeting, I, I had the words of an old song come to my mind. the words of the old songs that come to my mind easier than last week's new one. Um, And years ago, we used to sing a song that went, we are standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. And in this prayer meeting, I was about to burst into this song, and I thought, I bet nobody else knows it. (laughs) Who knows that that sort of just causes your confidence to ooze away. So I I didn't dare to sing it, of course. So I just talked about the song and then, pr- and then prayed off it. But, but, you know, this we are standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. Now, now even this morning, there are angels in this room. Uh, years and years and years ago, Billy Graham wrote a classic book on angels. It was one of the classic books on angels and how angels are always there to attend God's people. And God's people are always more frightened of demons, but they should be more aware of angels. It's just a very, very powerful thing. And, and the presence of God is so much all around us. And, uh, and, you know, if you just look across this room, I would like to tell you things are not what they seem. They're not. In other words, you look around, you see lots of ordinary people uh, you know, and you think, well, nothing very sort of bright, smart round here, just a bunch of ordinary people. But I want to tell you there are angels in this room. The presence of God is here, and the power of his Holy Spirit is here. And there is somebody here who is bigger than anyone you have ever touched or met and who can do mightier things than anyone you have ever seen in all your life, and he's right here, and he's called the Holy Spirit things are not always what they seem. And as we're talking about this kingdom thing, I'm praying that God will help us understand that things are not always, and there's something bigger than any of us that's here and that God wants us to touch. So Jesus knows who he is. This is the most important thing about what he's up to in this story. He knows who he he is, and he's been on a tour of synagogues. Now, There's something interesting going on in Luke's gospel. I need to try and explain it if I can, because you're all clever and bright people. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus sort of reads this reading, but he's sort of right at the beginning of his ministry as Luke tells the story. Because Luke is trying to set this up as a manifesto for who Jesus is. If anything, my theology is dodgy. You can go and talk to Dave Perry afterwards, and he'll say, no, don't take any of that. It's a bit of rubbish, this. Anyway, but seriously, he's trying, to, he's trying to set this up so that we understand a manifesto of who Jesus is is coming out here. 
But it, it possibly wasn't that early in the ministry of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 6, there's, a, there's a, another story that's told of, of Jesus' ministry here in Nazareth. And it was probably the same one. And I'm trying to say it's hinted at here because he's already been on a tour of synagogues. He has started his ministry. This isn't the launch of his ministry. He's already started. and He's been doing a tour of synagogues. It says it in these verses. And in Mark chapter 6, we have a little account of what happened in Nazareth. And he got into more trouble. And that's where he talks about a prophet being without honor in his own, uh, in his own sort of place. And it says, at the end, it says this in Mark chapter 6. It's very, very interesting. It says, Jesus could do no mighty miracles there, only healing a few sick people. Who'd like to go just for healing a few sick people first? I guess that's not a bad start, is it? I'd like, I'd like to go for that. I think it's a wonderful comment, you know. In some ways, he was wanting to do lots, lots more, but he had to settle with just healing a few sick people. And then it says, and he was astounded at their unbelief. I mean, for him, faith and expecting God to move was, was sort of obvious, for them, no expectation at all. And I often wonder what he'd feel if he came here and whether he'd be astounded at our unbelief. Would this be a Nazareth setting where he's not able to do many great things, only heal a few sick people? And I'm sort of praying that somehow God would move in our hearts in such a way that faith is set alight again to believe that God wants to move in kingdom power in such a way that we see not just a few small miracles of healing but mighty works done which you do see elsewhere in the world by the way when God starts to move in power so Jesus knows who he is he's been on a tour of synagogues and here's here he is now he's been on a tour of synagogues and he ends up at the synagogue in Nazareth now, I don't know if any of you have been to synagogue. I have. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, when I was actually 17 or 18, I, I had a very, very close Jewish friend. He still is. Um, some of you will have heard of him because he's actually quite a famous lawyer. His name is Brian Levison, Lord Levison, who did all the sort of inquiries into the media and press and all that sort of stuff. And then whose report after a couple of years was just ditched by the Prime Minister the day after. It's nice to think your work is so valuable, isn't it? Anyway, that's my friend, um, Brian Levison. And we were at school together in the city of Liverpool. And, uh, and he and I talked, I mean, went through a whole period where we talked to one another about faith quite a lot. And... Uh, so we agreed that I would go to synagogue with him and he would come to church with me and we'd just sort of experience how we both did this thing and what it looked like. Well, I, so I can remember my time in synagogue one Saturday morning um, uh, you know, very vividly, actually. I can still remember it vividly. I can remember going in and he gave me my sort of skull cap to wear um, and, and then obviously somebody else 
in the congregation thought that I was not dressed properly and gave me one of those shawl things that you're supposed to wear as well, but Brian hadn't given me one of those, so this person came up and sort of put his my shawl on me. So there I was, standing there in my skull cap and shawl. I hope you can imagine all this. Uh, and... And we were downstairs in the synagogue, of course, the ladies were upstairs in the synagogue. That's how it was, at least in the synagogue we went to, because of different traditions in different synagogues. And, uh, and I remember, a synagogue is not con- conducted by professionals, okay? So, so there isn't a professional clergy in synagogue, and there definitely wasn't in Bible days. It was conducted by ordinary people like you and me. Okay, so... Uh, I mean, I remember at a certain point, the guy who was leading the meeting at that time, this would be Al, right, sort of standing up, looking around, and calling a young man to come and read the scriptures. He then opens this big cabinet, which has scrolls in, and takes it out and unrolls it. I can't tell you how much insight I felt I got into Luke chapter 4 just by being in this synagogue. It was wonderful. And, and very sort of gingerly, because this was also a test of whether he'd done his Hebrew lessons properly, you understand. Very gingerly, he came down to the front, and the scroll was opened in front of him, and he started reading this text in Hebrew, which, of course, Everybody would have learned in their Hebrew classes, because you do your Hebrew classes before the main meeting on a Saturday morning. Uh, so so it's, it's quite fascinating. So, so what is being described here is what has happened over centuries uh, in the synagogue. And so Jesus is there, and it's, it's not unusual for a visiting person to be invited to come and say something if they've got something to say. Uh, And you see that in the Acts of the Apostles where Paul turns up in some places. He immediately gets invited to say something because they recognize he's got something to say. So this is what they did. So it's not actually such a surprise. Oh, Jesus is in town. (laughs) Why don't you come and read? Now, we don't know. Genuinely, we don't know if this was a pre-allocated text. In other words, if this Isaiah 61 passage was the liturgical text. We don't really have any evidence that there was a liturgy in the synagogue, but, but it was a jolly good one, wasn't it? By the sovereignty of God, the text that he was given was Isaiah 61, which is all about the coming servant of the Lord. It's one of the most prophetic scriptures. And so Jesus takes the scroll. You can see him taking the scroll, holding it there, and saying, and announcing, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me. And people were hearing the stories of what was going on. You know that, because later on he's going to talk about, did you think you were going to do here what you did in Capernaum? They'd heard the stories. They didn't really believe them. What about these things we've heard of at Capernaum? You got to do them here. <laughs> well, not with that unbelief in their hearts, he's not. Anyway, um, so the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then he stops. Now I'll come to why he stops in a moment. But it's very important that he stops. And everybody knows that he's stopped in the middle of a verse from the Old Testament. And he rolls it up and he hands it back to the guy who's leading the meeting. Here, Mr. Al. (laughs) And there's a hush over the congregation and everybody's eyes are on him. There's probably as many thoughts going on as are going on in this room now. (laughs) But you try to imagine, why so quiet? Why all the eyes on him? Had they recognized that this scripture had more to say (laughs) this Saturday morning than most Saturday mornings? And why had he stopped in the middle of a verse? It's a very important question. And he senses the unbelief in his own city. He senses the the vibes coming at him from people who know him. He's <laughs> but the spirit's on him. It's like Spirit of the Lord is on me. Is that what they recognized? Don't quite know what's going on. Spirit's on him. I remember somebody coming here a few years ago and preaching on this passage of Scripture. And after about 20 minutes of joke telling to get us all on his side, he read the passage and he said this, Spirit of the Lord is on me. What's on you? It was one of the most powerful. I mean, I could have, you know, left out the 20 minutes of joke telling, but it was one of the most powerful introductions to a sermon I have ever heard. Because we know this Spirit of the Lord is on me so well, but then the question is, what's on you? And on us, quite often, are all sorts of other things. Anxiety, fear, doubt, rejection, self-rejection, inferiority, concern about where our lives are going, what's going on in our families, relationships. Our lives are filled with what's on us. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Trouble is, when you've heard somebody else do it, you can't just borrow it without saying it. <laughs> you know, some, some, I remember hearing Chris Bowater, a songwriter, say, I love this song. It was one of Noel Richard's songs. He said, I love this song. I think it's great. Jesus just sent it to the wrong address. <laughs> Quite like that. Sometimes you wish you'd had other people's bright ideas. You know. But what's on you this morning? What fear or anxiety or self-doubt or, or you know, relational care, 
Spirit of the Lord is on me. And in the midst of Nazareth, where he's facing rejection and questions and people refusing to believe and doubt and all the rest of it, the Spirit's still on him. Now, this is what I want to say so strongly this morning. We walk and live in a world which often has the same atmosphere that Jesus faced at Nazareth. Where there's rejection, people don't want what you've got. They don't want to know often what you're carrying. They don't believe that your God is really helping you that. Well, if it's good for you, it's good for you. Is the sort of answer you get if it works for you. But, you know, but they don't really want it. And in that context, how do we behave? We still need to know what's on us. Or should I say, who's on us? Spirit of the Lord is on me. As you work this week. We're sons and daughters and the Spirit's on us. That's our identity. Let's keep moving on. I'm, I'm mingling in a few different points here. The Nazareth Challenge. Everywhere else but at home, people recognized and liked Jesus. Here, only a few small healings, but he didn't give up. He didn't fight. He wasn't rude. They were mad, but he was good. He faced rejection. They experienced grace. That's the story of the Nazareth challenge. You and I will face Nazareth challenges where we're wondering how we stand. Well, here's a great example the story of Jesus at Nazareth. Let's move on then and just think a little bit more about this kingdom manifesto. I want you to note again that Jesus does not hesitate to declare this manifesto at home in Nazareth. It's not the only place he goes because he's been in Capernaum, he's been in other synagogues, he's worked there, but he's going to state it at Nazareth as well. One of the places where we get most intimidated is at home with people who know us well, our good friends. And the better they know us, the less we say, is that true? And we think, well, I've said it before. Well, you could say it again. <laughs> no harm in that. You still know who you are. And you think, well, yeah, but I know them you know, they've shown they don't want it before. So we're intimidated by their previous reactions or their previous conversations. I just want to say, he declares it at home. I want to say, you may go everywhere else in the world, but you've got to do it at home as well. <laughs> uh, this kingdom manifesto. So, the kingdom of the Lord is on me. Sorry, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Nobody corrected me. Nobody shouted up and said, so. no, 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 it doesn't say that. This is what I want to say. The power of the kingdom, and it's the kingdom that he's preaching everywhere he goes, is in the Holy Spirit. If you and I want to walk and live in the kingdom of God, if you pray that prayer, your kingdom come, let me tell you where the kingdom comes and how the kingdom comes to us. The kingdom comes to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit being on us. There is no other way. And I have the feeling that some Christians today are actually quite embarrassed about the Holy Spirit as well. 
and they're embarrassed about speaking in tongues. And let me tell you, speaking... (laughs) Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That means you build yourself up inside. That's how you make yourself strong. You need to do that over and over and over again every day. If you're going to be strong... Well, if you want to go out into the world anyway with a Kalashnikov rather than a pea shooter, I recommend you to pray in tongues and to pray in the Spirit because the Bible says it's how we edify ourselves, that's how we strengthen ourselves. And one of, the, some, one of the things that happens to Christians, they think, why do I feel so weak? And one of the first questions I asked me is, so have you prayed in tongues recently? Well, no, it's sort of drifted off. I'm not quite there. Well, hey, could we put two and two together here? Sorry, am I being too aggressive here this morning, Al? Is, 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> Look, if we want to live in the power of the kingdom of Christ, with the, which comes from the life of the Holy Spirit being on us, we're going to have to be spiritual people who don't allow pleasures, treasures, and cares to get in the way of the seeds of the kingdom. We're not saying you can't have fun, please. Don't think that's what Graham was prophesying this morning. I think think he was rather prophesying. He he liked pleasures. I think I heard that. Um, So so here's an elder of the church not telling us, (laughs) not telling us it's not fun. And, uh, you know, I think I know Graham well enough to know they have plenty of fun in their home, their family, and and all the rest of it. So it's it's not that, but it's about, you know, what we are, you know, we're spiritual people. And that has to come first before all the pleasures and the treasures. And if that comes first, there'll probably be less care as well. Anyway. So we're here to proclaim, he's here to proclaim good news to the poor. And what we find as he goes about this proclamation is he's with the spiritually poor and with, he's with the physically poor. He's with both. One of the things that happens, I'm quite interested by this. One of the things that happens is you notice right the way around the world poor people being more hungry spiritually than rich people. And I have the privilege to travel in a good many nations. Over the next few months, I'm going to be in India three times and in Chad and in Rwanda. But I, I know what the hunger in those nations is. So, anybody need prayer? They race out to the front. You know, and... You know, if there's healing, they're there for healing. And if there's trouble in relationships, they're there for God to help them. And there's something about the... And the trouble, the trouble is in the West, we've got this spirit of we're able to do things for ourselves. And yet, we're afflicted with mental illness, pressures of life, anxiety sense of powerlessness of our own situations that tells us we're not doing a very good job. And if only we wealthy people could understand our poverty, 
spiritually speaking, we'd perhaps call more of heaven down. It's good news to the poor. Physically poor and spiritually poor. And if you think, I'm not making a very good job of life at the moment, hey, <laughs> this is where God comes in. And it's good news to the poor, this kingdom thing. Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's called me to pray. <laughs> good news to the poor. That God comes and helps the poor. That God helps those who are spiritually poor. Those who know they haven't got the strength. They haven't got the resources. They haven't got the answers. They can't find the way. They don't know what life's about. God comes to them. This is Jesus' manifesto to proclaim freedom for prisoners. People are in all sorts of bondages, aren't they, today? I'm always very amused when I go to a developing world and you know, you're very aware of spiritual forces, demonic forces, almost like the West sometimes thinks they're delivered from those things. We have as many demons as they do in the developing world. They just go under different names, <laughs> different bondages and addictions and challenges. And I think the pressure to perform, the pressure to perform, the need for achievement, the need for recognition, these things are bondages demonic forces of rejection and self-rejection and comparison and inferiority that take hold of people's lives in the West and Jesus says I want to proclaim freedom for the captives freedom for the captives let's not worry about the demons they have in the developing world let's try and see Jesus fix some of the demons that we're living with. These spiritual forces that tie us up. And it might be the lust for, for, for pleasure and treasure. And it might be the cares of this world. And it might be the challenges of relationships. There are all sorts of things that the enemy has a field day with. And Jesus said, I'm here to proclaim freedom to the captives. There's a way of sorting this out. I'm, I'm just very aware that this is weaving everywhere, and I'm sorry, but I feel like God's put a few different things in me that I need to be saying today, and that's why I'm trying to lob them out. And that's the way the Word of the Lord is. It's not the same thing for everybody. You know, it's, this isn't a sort of conveyor belt sort of, you know, um, it's not the way it works. It's just that when God wants to meet different ones in different places uh, this morning. This manifesto of Jesus is going to touch all sorts of people in all sorts of conditions, in all sorts of challenging problems. It's touching all sorts of people. And it touches you. And here's one of the lies of the enemy that we experience is, well, it's all right for all of them. But it doesn't work for me or it's not working for me or it's a little bit too difficult to access I don't seem to be getting there listen 
This manifesto of the Spirit of the Lord being on Jesus and his kingdom power being available is for, because he's anointed me to claim good news to the poor. Are there any poor people here who haven't got the resources to fight on through yourself? Wave a hand, please. Okay, thank you. It's for you. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Who here are prisoners in their own thought patterns? (laughs) Yes, thank you very much. Recovery of sight for the blind. Who here feels like you wander along and you really like to know where you're going? Yeah, that's right. It's us. To set the oppressed free. Are the people who sometimes feel, oh, do I have to get out of bed this morning? That's called oppression. Anybody here? Does this apply to anybody here? Okay, all right. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it stops. Now, this is very purposeful. Jesus stopped in the middle of a verse of Scripture. I'll tell you what Isaiah 61 says, because he's reading from Isaiah 61, the Old Testament. Isaiah 61 says, And the year of vengeance of our God, the year of punishment of our God. And Jesus stops, says, listen, I'm proclaiming a new year. The Chinese always have a new year sort of belonging to a different character each year or something. So I'm proclaiming a new year. It's called Lord's Favor. No punishment. No judgment. Actually, for all of us, judgment is now postponed until the second coming of Christ. Okay, this is very important. <laughs> we are now in a period of grace and favor of the love of God, the accessibility of God. He's for us in such a new forgiving way. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor on you. Favor on you, Tammy. You're going to get moved soon. Favor on you, Stuart. Sometimes you wonder, why did I get through all this trouble? No, no, no. The favor of God is on you. Favor of God's on us. And the favor of God's not only on us, but on all God's creation. He has compassion on all that he's made, the scripture says. This is a time of favor for the nations. It's a time when they can come to him, find life, find the knowledge of God, come to Christ. It's a year of favor, 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 favor. There is no punishment here. Judgment will come later. There is a great white throne before which we will all stand one day and give account. (laughs) There is. But at the moment, it's a time when you can get to know God and I can get to know God and God wants to be good to people and he wants to be kind to people and he wants to be gracious to people. This is the best possible time to get to know God. Amen? Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And let me tell you this. Jesus wants the Spirit of the Lord to be upon you too as well. He, that's why he said to his disciples, wait until the Spirit comes on you. He wants the Spirit to be on all of his followers. To do what? To proclaim the favor of God wherever they go. 
that God's good. He loves people. He's for people. Amen? Now, you've been very good, especially in a slightly cold room. Um, probably by now, your feet are cold, your knees are cold, your stomach's cold. Is that, is that right, Helen? Sorry. There you go. Uh, and I should have probably had more mercy and more compassion on you. Let's just pray. And then if there are specific things that individuals want us to pray through with them, I invite you to come out to the front and to get prayer with you know, somebody else and say, look, here's where it's at. I, I need the favor of the Lord. I need God to do something. I need to find freedom. I'm under oppression. I'm in this bondage. Uh, you know, I need to know forgiveness, whatever it is. Or I, perhaps I just need to know I'm a son or a daughter properly. Whatever it is, please come. But I'm just going to sort of wrap up now. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you came from heaven to show us the Father's love. Thank you that you came and you took up residence here on earth. And thank you that the heart you had all those years ago is the same heart today. Uh, thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that... This manifesto of the kingdom is the same manifesto that prevails today. You want your kingdom to come here uh, to proclaim your goodness and your love, your accessibility and your favor on everyone who reaches out to you. I think that's, thank you that's true for everyone here. And I do want to pray that everyone here may know they're sons and daughters of yours, carrying your Holy Spirit able to declare the same freedom to others, moving confidently in the power and presence of God. I pray that will be all of our portion, and I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.